Episode 248. This is the podcast. I'm Douglas Wilson. I'm glad you decided to come by today and listen to this. I, I don't know why you would, but I am glad that you did. So, episode 248 of the podcast. I want to talk a little bit about the raid on Mar-a-Lago, uh, the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. Now, um, the thing that the, the this raid has to be considered for all sorts of reasons as being profoundly disturbing, right? profoundly disturbing. And and here's why. Uh, uh, I'll I'll flip this around and explain this from the other direction. Uh, from what I've been from what I've been able to gather from all the reading I've done over the years and. Um, and particularly over the last uh, five years or so, I believe that if um, if there were an honest, free, fair-minded, conscientious investigation of Hillary Clinton's doings, all of them, um, she would go to jail. Right. So that's that might that sentiment might get me uh, kicked off the kicked out of the jury pool so that I couldn't serve on a jury for her but I've I've drawn that conclusion um just from what I've gathered I've and I've read a lot I've read a lot of, I've looked at a lot of this the reporting I've seen a lot of a lot of things that were done um I think that Hillary Clinton uh if if everything were just strictly on the up and up would go to jail and no injustice done right However, she ran against Donald Trump in 2016, and Trump, to everyone's astonishment, won. Okay, now, if someone says, okay, uh, you know, during uh, Trump's campaign, 2016 campaign, there were chants at his rally where the crowd would get, would slip the leash and start chanting things like, lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. Okay, now here's why, uh, here's a judicious reason why that might not be a good idea. And it's, but there are things, develop, developments that have made it uh, perhaps a, a necessity the next go around, whether or not it's a good idea. And here's, here's um, why. If, you, if someone says, hey, there's a rash of purse, purse snatchings in our town, we need to crack down on purse snatchings. What you're doing is, and Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, where justice is not speedily executed upon the criminal, there the heart of man is filled to do evil. So, yeah, uh, the Bible teaches that punishment of the wicked has a real deterrent value. Okay, so you've, if you've got certain kinds of crime proliferating, uh, uh, enforcement of the law against that crime is a real deterrence. And someone's going to say, well, Shouldn't it be the same for electoral fraud? Shouldn't it be the same for um, cheating in elections? Shouldn't it be the the same for um, all the dirty deeds that surround uh, political efforts? Well, yeah, yes, and no. Here's 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 the pragmatic concern. If you get to the point where you have every election, you have the loser dragged off to jail you are not getting the deterrent effect of enforcement of the law. What you're getting, you're not cleaning up the elections. You're ensuring the elections are going to get way dirtier, right? And um, put it this way, if, if Hillary Clinton uh, was absolutely confident that if she lost the election, 
she was going to go to jail. Right? If she knew that, if I lose the election, I'm going to jail. If I lose the election, it's into the penitentiary with me. Do you think that knowledge would deter her from cheating more or doing nefarious things uh, or encourage her to do even more? Right? Obviously, uh, in a situation like that, when you're dealing with a powerful person and you're having an election and it comes down to the wire, to have the loser routinely taken off to jail or indicted or put on trial is uh, it, you're, what you're doing is you're guaranteeing that the uh, elections are going to get a whole lot dirtier, not, uh, not cleaned up. And that's what's troubling about the Mar-a-Lago raid. There are certain uh, levels of corruption that should be fought by, by electoral means, certain levels of corruption that should be um, fought by voting the bums out of office. And, but, but if you have uh, like a zero um, wiggle room policy, what you're doing is ensuring that you're going to have, you're going to have to fight to the last ditch. When I was a little boy, I forget, I forget what Latin American, uh, I forget what Latin American country it was. Could have been Peru. I'm not sure. But uh, our family lived in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And our next door neighbor was a former South American dictator. Um, and w there were times when someone had to go and they'd be shuffled, they'd be uh, shuffled off and somebody would give them a nice suburban house in, <laughs> in America somewhere. And and you spared a lot of people a lot of bloodshed, but if someone, if the if the people who, who seize power uh, demand their pound of flesh, what's going to happen is you're not going to have dictators living in quiet suburban neighborhoods anymore, but uh, but you are going to have vicious, bloody fights down to the, you're gonna, until you hang the last dog, right? Um, but now with the raid on Mar-a-Lago, uh, it's sort of like the um, once one side opens a, opens a particular door, it becomes impossible for the other side to ignore it. So if um, if we have a Republican uh, tsunami, uh, which many people are predicting, we don't know the future, obviously, but let's say the Republicans sweep the House and let's say the Republicans take the Senate, you've got a Republican House and Senate and Joe Biden uh, in the White House and Kamala Harris uh, there as well. What could go wrong, right? Well, um, there's almost certainly going to be an impeachment, right? An impeachment. And then it's going to be handed to the Senate to try. And then you're going to have what? Well, there, if, if there is no out, then people will fight to the end, right? If people are absolutely cornered, they're going to fight to the last, uh, the last ditch. And that's how you get yourself a civil war. So I'm not saying. Slap on the wrist, boys will be boys, uh, let the powerful people be corrupt. But what I'm saying is that you have to play uh, at the national stage, you have to play this a little more shrewdly. And now I'm, af I'm, afraid, at, uh, I I'm afraid that we're at the point where uh, there is really no choice in the matter. It's got to be um, uh, cutthroat politics all the way. And that, that door was opened by the Mar-a-Lago raid. Always will be God. Carrying on with episode 248 of the podcast. 
As we continue our study of sin in the New Testament, a venture we are calling hamartiology, we come to the issue of fear. Fear. Emphabos, E-M-P-H-O-B-O-S, is the word used for afraid or frightened. Emphabos, and we've got um, uh, the root of phobia in the middle there, P-H-O-B. So, this might not seem like a sin necessarily, but, but hear me out. Okay, I'm going to start with a use of the word in the New Testament that indicates a strong moral component. Okay, so in Acts uh, 24:25, and as he, this being the he being the Apostle Paul, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. Felix trembled. There's our word. Um, Felix trembled and answered, "Go, go thy way for this time." When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So, Paul would talk to the Roman um, ruler of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And that scared Felix. That scared Felix badly. So, clearly, that has a, there's a moral component there. Now, in the other instances I'm about to cite, it's not so clear, but I'm taking them in the spirit of Isaiah. When Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord in Isaiah 6, he is made aware by that vision of his own sinful condition. Um, That is, he's a man of unclean lips, he says, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And when Peter sees the Lord's miracle with the fish, he tells the Lord to depart from him because he's a sinful man. Uh, That's how I'm taking these following passages. There's a vision of glory. There's a vision of righteousness. There's a vision of holiness that makes us aware of our sinful condition. And Peter was a, 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 a faithful, pious Jew, and Isaiah certainly was a pious man. But when he saw the glory of the Lord, he became aware of the corruptions that were about him, right? He started to feel like Felix felt when he heard Paul talking. So, and as they were afraid, here's, here's some passages where the word's used. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? These are the angels uh, talking to disciples after the Lord's resurrection. They, the angels, said unto them, the disciples, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Well, um, the disciples are afraid and bowed down. And then Luke 24, but they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit, Luke 24, 37. So you have the same sort of thing here. It's sort of a vision of, this, of the righteously, uh, righteous spookiness. So when angels uh, speak to men in Scripture, one of the common um, statements is fear not, right? So there's a, there's a sense of the numinous that makes you aware of your own tawdry condition. And when Cornelius, when Cornelius saw the angel, he was afraid. That's in Acts 10.4. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a, have come up for a memorial before God. Okay? So, Cornelius was afraid. Then it says, The men who were with Paul at his conversion were similarly affected. And that's, this is in Acts 22.9. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid. There it is. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. 
right? So these are these are men who are on the mission with Paul. So they're they're at least uh, they're they're enough for the bad guys that they're in this band that are going off to arrest Christians, right? And they they saw the light, were afraid, but they didn't hear the voice. But they there was enough there to make them fear. And then there's one more instance where it um it, it's very it's a very clear cut moral case uh, happening in the midst of judgment. In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Revelation eleven thirteen. So God's raining down judgments on earth, and the men on earth were af- were frightened, were afraid. They were afraid of God's judgment. Now, this is clearly um, a fear that's connected to the, the moral issue. And it doesn't say that they repented, but it does say they gave glory to God. So they are um, affected in some good way, whether it was to salvation or not. Um, we don't know. So fear is not sometimes it's a sin to be afraid. Sometimes being afraid is just revelatory of your sinful condition that you weren't fully aware of until something or someone that was absolutely holy came into your presence. God don't never change. He's God. The book review today is the... uh, This is an odd one, all right? So this is the little book of coincidence in the solar system. The little book of coincidence in the solar system by uh, a gent named, last name of Martineau, M-A-R-T-I-N-E-A-U. Little book of coincidence in the solar system. Now, um, this is uh, uh, two caveats in um, uh, in my review of this book. One is the fellow doesn't appear to be a, a Christian. He appears to be some sort of um, mystical, new agey kind of person, but he's not, an, uh, but th- that's not in the forefront. That's just running in the background. And it doesn't appear to affect what he's saying because all the things he's saying, you can go check, right? Because there's a good bit of s- fairly simple math uh, in the book. And if you don't believe what he's saying, you don't have to accept his worldview. You can go check his math. And I, what I'm talking about there will be uh, um, uh, more obvious as I go on. So uh, what do I mean? It's not uh, high-level calculus. It's not high-level math. It's rudimentary math, but you've got to sit down and do it. And this is my second uh, caveat. It's on that level, this book seemed legit, but I didn't go through and do the math myself. I just read over what he was arguing and stating, and it seemed like um, I, I, I think it's legit. But if, any, if anybody uh, out there is a uh, math nerd and you want to get the book and you want to um, check on all these things, feel free. Okay, so... Um, what what do we mean by the little uh, book of coincidence? What what's coincidental about the solar system? I'm just going to give a couple of examples uh, taken from the book that um, are just quite striking, and which I don't think you should expect or predict 
if you're talking about a solar system that is the result of a big explosion or some sort of, you know, if we are the detritus of the Big Bang, you know, this far out in the solar system, then you've got a, uh, wh- uh, why is it so orderly? And why are there some quirky things in it? I'll give you uh, just a couple of examples. A um, couple or three examples. Um, one is that as far as appearance in the sky is concerned, um, perhaps you, uh, you've you wondered before why the moon and the sun are exactly the same size as far as appearance goes. Um, when the moon covers the sun. It just leaves the corona of the sun exposed, but you have a full eclipse, okay? And, it, and, the, and the moon goes over the sun like you were stacking a couple of quarters, like you had one quarter on the table, and then you put another quarter on top of it. That's how the moon fits over the sun. Now, just think of, if, you, if your explanation of the solar system is that it is... Um, just the result of, you know, it's part of the debris field. It's just part of the blast, <laughs> the blast area of some explosion or other. What are the odds of that, of, of the moon? Now, in the Genesis account, the sun and moon are given for signs in the heavens. They're, they're up there for a reason. They're supposed to speak to us. We're supposed to interpret them. We're supposed to understand them. And so it makes sense that they would go together like that. It makes sense that a solar eclipse would have the moon fitting over top of the sun like you were stacking a couple of quarters. Okay, so that's that's one thing. Yeah, and next thing. If you were to drag, not that you not that I'm suggesting that you do this, but if you were to drag the moon down to earth and just have the moon touching the earth, uh, and then drew a circle around the earth that ran through the center, the very center of the moon. Okay, you with me? So you draw a a circle through the very center of the moon, completely around the earth. Then you draw a square just around the earth. Okay, a square just around the earth. And you have this uh, round earth in the middle of a square that touches four sides. And then you have a circle that goes through the center of the moon all the way around the earth. If those two lines, one going through the center of the, of the moon and the other making a square around the earth, if they both were a piece of string, those two pieces of string would be the same length. And this is because the size ratio of the moon to the earth is 3 to 11. Okay, 3 to 11. And, and if you did this with any 311 ratio you'd get the same thing if you if you had a circle that's 11 to the 3 of the smaller circle you could reproduce this so the um, the moon dragged down to the surface of the earth and a circle drawn through the center of the earth all the way around the earth and then a square around the earth those two lines are the same length okay huh now, here's the, another weird thing, and this is where uh, I would invite people to go to go check to go check. Right? Um, the ancients appeared to have uh, known about this because uh, in the in the origins of the unit of measurement that we call the mile, 
right? Why is a mile a mile? Well, uh, this book argues that uh, the ratio, the number of miles, um, the, um, oh, how, sh- how should I, the length of the mile has to do with these these uh, numbers that I've, I've just given you about the um, uh, the 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 moon and the Earth. So you've got um, three. Uh, you've got basic multiples. What uh, if you have um, the mile times three sixty? Uh, you know, uh, three times sixty. Three. Excuse me. Three times three sixty and eleven times three sixty, and you get a certain number. That's the number of that that's the number of miles and that fits together nicely everything comes together i'm not i didn't explain that last part very well but that's why we just leave the harder stuff to you guys go check it out the little book of coincidence in the solar system and there are numerous um examples of this in this book and each each little conundrum is just a page um a page long with an explanation and an illustration and you can work it out yourself. Mm-hmm.